Good morning. In this little backyard, we were blessed uh, shortly after we moved in uh, to have a little uh, baby fawn born here. Uh, been just a couple days of us living here, and I noticed that this rather round doe was coming right up to my door, right back to my patio door, and looking in at me as I unpacked my groceries. <laughs> I admit it was a little weird, um, wondering why the doe needed to do that. And does are so placid, right? It's like they have no, very little expression. So you look out at these big, giant eyes with these great, big, beautiful lashes, and they're just staring at you. Um, wasn't quite Salem's lot, but I'm not going to lie, it was a little bit on the freaky side. Um, turns out she was just making sure that I was doing my thing so she could do her thing. And the next thing we knew, there was a little tiny baby fawn in our yard. A little one who grew about, uh, oh gosh, uh, over, the la over the three weeks. It's only been a couple days since he's been big enough for she to run with the herd and is no longer sleeping in the back corner over there and dancing around our yard chasing the blue jays and being with mama and um, wow, how amazing is that? So it has been, I guess, a season of babies. So when God makes this beautiful sky in this creation. We get four days in and we have the sky in place, we have plants, we have seeds, but we don't have any animals yet. And God decides that's what's next. And God speaks, and remember in this, this is an oral culture, speaking is a way of making something so, making it manifest making it material, from spiritual, just an idea, just something that could be, or possibility, out of the mouth of God becomes this sound uh, of will that makes something happen. And lo, there are animals in the sea, fish and sharks swimming. There are animals on the land, antelope rabbits and tigers and anything you can imagine. And the most wonderful thing of all is God looks at this, this mostly populated earth. Only humans are yet to be created. And God sees it, the running herds of deer with my little one from my backyard yet to be born and yet created in this moment as all are, because there's this great continuum of birth after birth after birth, life that follows life that follows life. And God looks at it and God says that it is beautiful and so very good. I don't know where Christians lost their way we're thinking of the world as not so good. Sometimes I worry about that. Where we start to see the world as something that we can use for our own purposes and discard at our leisure. That somehow it was put here to be used up. And in fact, it becomes despoiled. And, and you know, I think... It takes a lot of courage to despoil something that belongs to God. And I, I wonder 
where we got that idea as a Christian people. Now I can look back to Manichaeism and Gnosticism and the ancient days and the new beginning of Christianity. And I hear those stories of creation, and frankly, they're awful. They imagine a violent creation. They imagine the fall of gods and goddesses and, the, um, and sort of a carnage out of which creation comes. And it's like, it's just, people can't wait in these stories to get gone from here, to take what you can and run with it. But isn't that what, I remember the, uh, the Black Pearl, the, the pirate movie with Johnny Depp, and uh, what was it, take what you can and give nothing back. Uh, Christians aren't pirates. That's not how that's supposed to work. So, in the middle of this beautiful world, we as Christians are called to see the world not as it points to ourselves and what we can suck out of it, but as it points to God and God's glory. John Wesley and Charles Wesley understood this. The hymns that they wrote to God in praise of the creation, not for the creation's sake itself, although yes, because it is beautiful, but for God's self, knowing that as God poured God's love and energy and vision and spoke the words of creation, that what God created was so deeply good and so deeply reflective of God's self. God doesn't make no junk. I've heard that before, and it's true. God didn't just make life, but God made infinite possibilities. God spoke some of these into existence and spoke into existence a whole system of life. A whole system of life where these animals, they feed on the plants and other animals feed on them. And we, too, once we're created in the days that follow, we, too, feed on the beauty that is created, the bounty that God has made. Not so we can use it up for ourselves and discard behind us our trash and wish to be beamed up into heaven. The Bible says that the meek shall inherit the earth. The new Jerusalem is here. This, this place that points to the beauty and love that God has for us. This place. We sang this song, or we will, All Things Bright and Beautiful. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small. And it's a praising song, isn't it, to all the lovely, beautiful things. And it's easy to sentimentalize this part of creation, uh, to imagine only the most graceful animals. But Monty Python has done something pretty wonderful with it. Monty Python, in their Wisdom for the Absurd, and uh, for the sake of the 12-year-old in all of us, has these lyrics to remind us that God made a lot of things. All things dull and ugly, all creatures short and squat, all things rude and nasty, the Lord God made the lot. 
Each little snake that poisons, each little wasp that stings, God made their brutish venom, and he made their horrid wings. So it actually goes on. Uh, just Google it. It's worth it. I promise if you haven't already heard it. So, yes, this beautiful world is a system of all sorts of creatures and all sorts of animals and all sorts of uh, expressions of will. Um, and we need to remember that there's nothing that God created here that he said you should exterminate this. We have this incredibly wonderful gift to us, science. Um, we've had uh, scientists, millennia, people who study the material world to better understand what the material world is about. These folks uh, bring us a tremendous amount of gifts. God gave us this great big, lovely, juicy brain, and we use it when we do to better our lives and better understand our world. It's a really, really good way to use that gift. Um, now, uh, I hope as of this time that you're viewing this, that I have a little grandson on my lap. Uh, this little bear, kind of a little emblem of creation itself, a little bear, um, is the kind of gift that we're used to giving our children uh, to re sort of welcome them, welcome to Earth, little one. Um, and here's a small replica of something else that's wonderful here. Um, I'm not going to give my little grandson this. Instead, I found a set of board books that I think are absolutely wonderful. This one's called Quantum Entanglement for Babies. Now what you might ask is a pastor doing with a book on quantum entanglement, let alone a board book. Science gifts us with the ability to deeper understand the material that is what we are. Since none of us existed then and there were no video cameras, we have no idea what happened materially. We can offer a best guess and my gosh, science has taken us back trillions and trillions of years to the very beginnings of the universe, this idea that everything sort of expanded out of one big bang and things are even now flying across our vast universe, stars forming and unforming, contracting and blowing wide open. This is a complement to the spiritual part of our creation story. We, animals, human beings, plants, we are full of atoms. We do not exist as an isolated, not even in the universe. You've heard the expression that we're all made of the dust of stars. We are, but even more than that, we are made of the life of stars. We are made and share a bond across the universe in ways we do not understand and we can only theorize. Evolution is a theory. That doesn't mean it's wrong or right. It means it's an ingenious way of taking look at what the material is and what it does, as long as we don't use it to hurt each other, it's not a sin. I remember the story of a little boy who takes a 
wheelbarrow out to the rock pile. He puts one stone in, clunk, right? The big, hope it wasn't rusted out of the bottom like ours. Another stone comes in, clunk, clunk. Another one, clunk. Ooh, a big one, clunk. Oh, boy, just keeps filling up the wheelbarrow. It's like, after a while, you could wonder, well, what are you doing? And also, that's going to get very heavy, and this little guy is not going to be able to carry it. And so you kind of stop what you're doing to watch. There's a little drama here. What's this little guy up to? He keeps putting rocks in the wheelbarrow. Clunk, clunk. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you knew it had to happen. One of the little metal legs on the wheelbarrow had had enough, and down it went on its side. And the rocks all <laughs> roll out. Now, a couple of choices. If you were a grumpy uncle that day, you might come over and yell at him for breaking the wheelbarrow. Um, you ask him, what, what are you doing? What did you do? What did you think would happen? And the little boy says, well, I, I wanted to know how many rocks it would take before the wheelbarrow broke. <laughs> well, that's a pretty cool experiment. I'm going to give thumbs up for that. Who of us haven't wanted to know the answer to questions like that? How many before this happens? How much before that happens? Especially when we're young and we drive our parents crazy. We see the world around us. We see God's beautiful creatures. The banana slug and the antelope alike. And we recognize that what we encounter points to God. And the more deeply we study it, it doesn't diminish God's work. Instead, it helps illuminate God's work. I remember sitting in a biology class, looking at the way the cells move together. It's humbling. Our Earth is headed for some real trouble. We've been burning fossil fuels, and there's some consequences for that. This beautiful place that points to our Creator, we've, we've abused our privileges here. We are headed for a mass extinction. That's what these same scientists have gifted us with all this other knowledge, tell us. John Wesley not only valued creation in the natural world, but John Wesley affirmed science. Didn't see the natural world as something to be discarded, but something that glorified God, that pointed to God. All things ugly and squat, slow and slimy, beautiful, feathery. All of it points to God. Sometimes among Christian groups, uh, I hear a distrust of science, and it becomes an argument. Uh, one group saying, well, they don't know what they're talking about, and that's uh, God did it. And another group saying, well, God's not a magical gnome that hops in and waves a magic wand and suddenly, poof, there are fairies. Um, I think both of those arguments is a little extreme, but we're trying to make a point. 
I think science sometimes has sinned in arrogance. I, I remember science class as a girl and how bullying it could feel. Also, science has sometimes come forward with some very specific theories that it's very, very sure about, only to be wrong, repeatedly wrong. Sometimes we have professors who believe certain things based on their own studies, and they refuse to let any new studies come. That's not good science, though. Just like for a religious person to bang somebody else with the Bible and say, you're a sinner and you're going to hell, that's not good religion. But somehow we get stuck talking to each other from these extremes. And I want us to maybe, you know, let's move in a little closer together. Let's recognize that sometimes science is wrong, but that's part of what science does, is it does wrong, and it gets the wrong answer, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work until finally something clicks, and you can repeat it and do it again. And you discover something. Something, actually, that could be extraordinarily helpful, like aqueducts. Those are handy. Medicine, very handy. I like those. And religious people could understand, maybe more fully, that it's not a competition for understanding the earth and where it came from. It's a conversation biology class was a mystical experience for me, thanks to the scientists who kept digging, who developed these microscopes that could see the tiniest cell, could discover mitochondria, who could see finally the patterns of DNA. What a gift to me, who would never have discovered that on my own. I bring my faith to that. I feel God's great love and work in that. And I say, as God said, that this is beautiful. In that DNA was the capacity to adapt to change over time. That's evolution. That we evolve and change. That's all there is to that. We give it too much judgment we say that evolution is what makes somebody good or makes somebody bad, that it evolves in a good way or a bad way. It just is. We get llamas. This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. We get rabbits. We get banana slugs. We get human beings. And we get them in an infinite variation. Fully part of the universe in every way. Fully entangled together science, and mysticism. God brings us a world so beautiful that it's beyond our imagination. 
God says, go forth and multiply. Let the animals and the earth be fruitful. That's our mandate. That is what we are to be masters of, stewards of, God's world, God's beautiful, good world. Let us do that, not in opposition to other ideas, but by bringing those ideas together, by entangling ourselves together in the big question, of how do we make this, as God made it, good and beautiful. Praise be to God.